0: Everybody, thanks so much for being here. If you're in the room with us this morning, thanks for letting Bridgeway be a part of your weekend. If you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube, welcome. We're so glad that you could be with us and tune in no matter where you are this morning during this strange COVID-19 time. I heard somebody say... Online this last week. Uh, Man, I feel like everybody keeps saying this is unprecedented times, unprecedented times. I'm just longing for some precedent in times. I don't know about you guys. That's what I'm feeling this week. And on that note, uh, before we dive into the topic this morning, I just felt uh, really led to spend a little bit of time praying for our teachers, our kids, administrators, parents. I know some of you guys started school last week, and many of you guys are going back to school this week as well. And so it would be okay with you guys if we just spend a moment praying for all of that in this madness together. Is that cool? Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that you are a God who desires for us to love you with all of our mind, and you're a creative God, a God who gave us brains to learn and to recall and to grow. And so we're grateful for education and the gift that that is And Father, we just know that we are facing uh, an unprecedented uh, time this school year as we're kicking things off. So I know there's so much anxiety, so much fear, um, just trepidation about sending kids to school, about teaching kids in a classroom, about masks and all that stuff going on inside of school. So God, we ask for the only thing we know. Uh, During such a crazy time like this, we ask for your grace and we ask for your mercy that you would just let grace abound through your followers uh, who are, you know, kids, teachers, administrators, parents. God, let us be agents of grace no matter where we go. Let there be a grace umbrella in our words, in our emails, in our thoughts, uh, just recognizing that we are all just trying to do the best that we can. And there's so much second guessing. There's so much pivoting going on. uh, There's so many uh, alternative facts thrown around the internet and all the fear that goes along with that as well. So we ask that you would um, bring peace and that your grace would abound in, um, in this situation. God, we ask that you would just in an, an unbelievable, supernatural way keep kids safe that are going to school, that um, somehow, God, that you would draw the virus away and that it wouldn't infect others as well, and that this, uh, the guidelines and the stipulations would help in incredible ways. And so, God, we ask for that. Um, We love you, and we thank you, and we just commit this school year to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, awesome. So we are in week two of our series, Speaking God from Scratch. Last week, uh, we talked about how words are weird. And just because I'm a nerd and I find words fascinating, too, I just wanted to share a couple uh, examples of how words and phrases are just so odd. We say them all the time. We don't know where they come from or what they're all about at all. For example, did you guys know the origin of the honeymoon yeah, that like incredible glorious week or week and a half after your your wedding. Yes, the origin of the honeymoon is fascinating. In ancient times, it was actually an entire month. That's how long the honeymoon was, which sounds pretty good to all of us probably, right? But here's a kicker that I learned about the origin of the honeymoon. When we talk about a honeymoon, um, the father of the bride had to provide the Uh, husband and wife with mead for an entire month like for breakfast lunch and dinner mead is like a honey wine and the father of the bride had to just give that to this happy couple for every meal and just the only thing they drank for a whole month which you might might think that sounds great but today i'm sure somebody would be like oh it's too many carbs it doesn't fit in my diet all the honey mead doesn't quite work. But that's what a honeymoon originally was. And some of you are probably thinking, let's bring it back to that. Uh, Another example of a phrase that we use all the time, you ever heard people say, oh, the big wigs at the office, right? The bosses, the ones that are in charge. uh, we, We think, like. They're the big wigs of the organization. Do you know where that phrase comes from, big wigs? Actually, it's kind of crazy because in the 18th century France, um, people would wear wigs that were as high as possible and to show their importance. And so we have a picture of a guy here. I think we should bring it back. Some of you are saying this is what I was trying to do this summer. I probably, I don't think my wife would let it pass, but big wigs were literally people that wore the biggest wigs possible to show how important they were. You know, words are funny. These phrases, we don't really know their origins, but we say them all the time. And whether you've been in church for a long time, you grew up and going to church uh, whenever the door was open and you kind of got inoculated with these sacred ancient words and they kind of lost their meaning over time because you just heard them so much whether you're in that camp or whether you're just new to the whole faith thing or you're coming back to church, you consider yourself irreligious. Uh, We want to reclaim and redeem these sacred words. We don't want to throw them away, but we want to get into the dirt with them, go back to the source with them so that we can help these words guide us as we live our Sunday afternoons, our Monday mornings. We think these words matter to us so much. And so that's why we're reclaiming and talking about these words that we can just throw away so often. So last week we talked about faith. This morning we're going to talk about this big word here holy holy there we go holy I thought I was going to swear, probably, some of you are like, holy. But anyway, uh, we're going to talk about this word here, holy. What in the world is this all about? I mean, we, we sang about holiness this morning, you know, holy, there's no one like you. We sang that. Uh, you might, because you're in church, think of like, you know, the holy Bible, the sacred Bible, or you might think of the Holy Spirit, or you might look at somebody like me and be like, oh, he's supposed to be the holy person on stage, a little bit holier than I am, but not too holy. And he's supposed to give me advice on how I can be a little bit more holy. Maybe you're thinking along those lines. Uh, but for me, I honestly, I go right to pop culture in the way that we think about who's holy and what holiness is. And I picture this person right here every single time, Ned Flanders. From The Simpsons, you know, "Heidi Ho, Neighbor." You know, he's just like the guy on The Simpsons that's the butt of a lot of jokes. He's not really funny at all. He's kind of a stick in the mud. He's so nice and friendly; never would do anything wrong. Just morally upright. He goes to church all the time. Uh, we might think that this is the picture of what holiness is, and some of you are thinking, "If this is the picture of what holiness is, I want to have nothing to do with it." Uh, another example of what how we talk about holiness uh, when, when you think about those phrases, those words that we use that maybe start with the word holy that we would never admit we ever say when we're in church on Sunday morning. But bad words, bad phrases that start with holy. I actually, because I care about you as your pastor, I did some research and some study this week into the origin of swear words, which is a fascinating, fascinating world, let me tell you. But what I found it was interesting is that the original swear words, the OG bad cuss words, they were all religious in their context and they all had holy attached to it. Holy with something that was very profane. And these were like the original swear words. You might think about holiness and that Way, or in pop music or country pop music, I don't know what we call it, but Florida Georgia Line had that song back in 2016 called Holy, like H O L Y high on loving you, which is totally blasphemy, uh, but it's a catchy song, I guess. But we, we hear the word holy in that regard as well, and so we think along those lines. But I think most of us, when we hear the word holy, we, we think about this what's being morally pure? That's what holy, being holy is, is like having no uh, defect in you, being perfect. Being completely upright, that is what holiness is about. And we think, you know, if you have a concept of God in your life, that's how you picture God. God is perfect. God is so other that he would never make a mistake, never do anything wrong. And so we think God is holy, and I guess we're supposed to be completely morally pure and have no sin or no fault in us as well. I think often that's how we think about holiness. And my friends watching us online this morning or here in the room with us, I want to encourage you. I want you to lean in, to the fact, to the truth, that the, the good news is better than that. It, it, holiness is better and broader and more beautiful and wider than just being morally pure. Yeah, that's a part of it, but it's just a shadow of the real thing that Jesus is inviting us into. So, what I want to do for the next 10 to 12 minutes is I want to walk you through the entire Bible. I want to walk you through the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, to see how this word holy evolved and how human consciousness grabbed new pictures and new pieces of what holiness was all about all the way to today so that we can understand how to live out holiness on our Sunday afternoon and our Monday morning. Because I want to challenge you with this thought. I believe that you were created for holiness. You were created to walk in holiness. You were created to live in holiness and it's bigger it's better than just living a perfect life if that's all that you think that it is. So, again, I want to walk us through the entire Bible. We're going to start in the very first book of the Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures, Genesis chapter 2, and this is the end of the creation poem and this is what uh after well, this is what happens after God had created um, all everything that we see in nature. And then on the sixth day, the apex of creation, he created man and woman. And he said, man, this is some really good stuff. This is good, really good stuff. And then we're told this happens on the seventh day of creation. Then God blessed the seventh day and what? He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God took that seventh day, he rolled up his sleeves, he kicked back, kicked back in his cosmic lazy boy, saying, okay, I'm going to rest, I'm going to set this day apart, I'm going to make it holy, set this day to the side to say there's something special about it, no work, I will do no work on this day. And isn't this a little beautiful, right, you guys? Like the first time that holiness is talked about, it's after God is resting from creating you, from creating me. And he says that this is a new pattern of life that all of my creation I want you to follow, that you are human beings, not human doings, and you should take a day off, kick your shoes off, chill out a little bit. This is what God shows us. And we see the first element that I want us to understand of what holiness is about is it's set apart. It's a day that's off to the side. It's set apart for a purpose to rejuvenate us, for us to rest. And this is the first thing that's revealed to us about what holiness is all about. We go to the very next book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, and we meet this fascinating guy by the name of Moses, who he grew up as a prince of Egypt. Uh, He actually accidentally murdered somebody, ran from his identity, ran from his calling, was living out in the middle of nowhere, just hiding from everything. And he has this experience after he chases a ram into a cave where he comes across this bush, this this, uh, piece of vegetation that was on fire, but something odd was happening. It wasn't being consumed. This burning bush was just on fire. And Moses has this incredible interaction with God through this burning bush. And we see another element of what holiness is about. We'll put this up on the screen for you as well. This is the conversation that, uh, that Moses has with God through the burning bush. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is what is holy ground. (laughs) This is the first time that we see that God's presence, God's power, his holiness can actually be located on a place, a geographical place. We could pull up with our phones, GPS, and be like, God's holiness is here. There's this holy ground. This is a set-apart place, holy ground right here, and it's special. God keeps talking to him and says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. We not only see that God's holiness can be in one location and that it's set apart and it's special, we also see that there's something beautifully terrifying about being close to God's holiness. I mean, Moses is, he's having this incredible moment, but he's scared out of his mind. He's afraid to look up and see God and look at God. And we see that God's presence, his holiness is so powerful, so other that it's almost dangerous to us because we're just not powerful enough to deal with it. I mean, It's almost like this. I heard this illustration once that God's holiness is kind of like the sun in our solar system. I mean, it's so powerful. It gives us life and it gives us light and it warms the world. It's the only life-giving presence that we have up in space that animates everything here. But if you get too close to the sun, what happens? You die, you burn up. And I think God is revealing to us this passage in Exodus that God's holiness, it's, it's something that's being set apart and it's, it's in a location. But you know, at the same time, it's, it's so powerful that there's like this element of separation that we have before it because we are not holy enough, we're not perfect enough to be in its presence. So we move forward in the story, and we see that um, God's presence actually has a location on earth after Moses freed his people from, the slave, uh, from slavery in Egypt. They set up a, a temple, and it's this immaculate, massive building where God's presence was actually in the middle of. it. It was like the hot spot of God's presence on planet earth was in the middle of this immaculate, massive temple, and it was in this place called the Holy of Holies in the middle of this temple. This is where God's holiness and his presence dwelled all the time. And we're told that only one man could ever enter into this temple once a year, and he had to go through all these rituals so that he would be morally clean, ritually clean. And to do this, he couldn't touch anything that had to do with death. He couldn't touch anything or have any contact with anything that was unpure or dirty at all. He had to become ritually pure because God's holiness, his presence, was so other, so set apart that it was dangerous to be around it if you weren't pure. This leads into maybe what you would desc- describe as the most fascinating book of the entire Bible, the book of Leviticus. I mean, maybe you've tried to start reading the Bible from the very beginning, and you're like, this year I'm going to read through the entire Bible. I'm going Genesis, and there's like some cool, crazy stories in that. Exodus, oh, it like, reads like an action novel, and then you get to the back end of Exodus, and you start Leviticus, and you're like, I quit. This is really hard. This is really confusing. And book of Leviticus, it actually means book of instruction, book of law. And it is just a long laundry list of all these rules and ritualistic things that God's people were called to do so that they could be ritually pure to enter into God's presence, into God's holiness. And it's like this fascinating book of laws that'll put you to sleep. But there's some weird, fascinating stuff in there. I mean, there's a lot of food stipulations, like you weren't supposed to have pork at all, that would make you impure, unpure, right? Uh, Which means, guys, no bacon, which is a hard way to think about life, for sure. Uh, We weren't supposed to eat shrimp at all. God's people weren't supposed to eat shrimp, so that means that this is completely off the menu, bacon-wrapped shrimp, which oh man, I'm starting to get hungry. I'm just realizing looking at this. We need to take that down because that's all I'll be thinking about the rest of the day. But like there were these things they weren't supposed to eat at all. There are certain stipulations on the clothes that they could wear. They weren't supposed to wear clothes that had two different kind of patchings of uh, fabric in it, which was kind of a weird thing too. And maybe for you, you look at these Old Testament Levitical laws and you're like, oh, this is why God is outdated. This is why we should move on from thinking about the Bible. This is why we should move on from thinking about Christianity at all. And I get where you're coming from in that because these laws are wacky in our modern context. But there's some beautiful things found in Levitical law as well, ways for us to be holy. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, there are really progressive things that the world had never thought of before that God introduced into humanity through the book of Leviticus. Things like this, that you are called to love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus 18. You guys, that thought had never entered into the human Thought process and the human way of doing civilization until this moment in Leviticus 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not only that, in Leviticus 19, God's people were told that for you to be pure, you need to treat the immigrant like your son or daughter. Give them dignity, give them respect. If they wander into your land, you're supposed to love them and treat the immigrant with honor, dignity, and respect. Here's another one. Uh, to be ritually and moralistically pure in God's eyes, you shouldn't charge interest on any loans. Some of you guys want to get that chapter and verse and take it to your banker today, right? No interest on your loans, unless you're the lender and you're like, I kind of like having that. But like, this is something that was considered that it could push down on the poor, and so God said there is nothing, no, no place for this in um, my community, in the nation of Israel. If you want to be morally and ritualistically pure and be around my holiness, you need to take this away. (laughs) And what all these laws are really doing during this time in human history, they were saying, this is a way for you to be separate, to be set apart as my people so that you don't get uh, tainted by the way that other nations do things. You're going to be different. You're going to be a shining beacon to the world to be set apart from the way that they do things. That's what Leviticus is all about, and I'm sure you weren't thinking you're were going to get an overview of Leviticus this morning, but you got one anyway. Here, moving forward into the Old Testament, we get these little pictures, these visions of this future of God's holiness doing new things. In the book of Isaiah, which he was a prophet in the Old Testament, he in Isaiah six, uh, he's having this vision, and it's a really beautiful thing where he finds himself just dropped right in the middle of the Holy of Holies in the temple. And he's terrified. He's thinking, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm going to die. I'm going to get vaporized by God's holiness. I'm just going to die. And then we're told there's this heavenly being that comes down from the top of the temple with this burning coal and touches Isaiah's lips. And instead of Isaiah being vaporized by the holiness of the purity of this coal, he actually becomes pure, even though he was dirty and he was impure in God's eyes. God's holiness, it wasn't going to stop being spread. It was going to spread to Isaiah. There's another passage in the book of Ezekiel, which is a crazy, crazy book in the back of our Old Testament. It's another prophetic book. And Ezekiel has this vision. He's standing at the doors of the temple where God's holiness and God's presence dwells. And all of a sudden, there's a little leak coming out of the front door. And then it turns into a little bit of a stream. And then it turns into this living body of water and rivers spreading all throughout the desert, just bringing vegetation and life and flourishing uh, things all around it. (laughs) In this way of saying that in the future, God's presence won't be held just in one place, but it's going to spread everywhere. And my friends, where does this picture in Isaiah and this picture in Ezekiel, where does it really come to fruition? It comes to its completion and its arrival of the person of Jesus of Nazareth found in our New Testament. Jesus, my friends, was the new embodiment of God's holiness. And he, Jesus was basically, with his life, saying holiness has left the building and it's bigger and it's more beautiful than you could possibly imagine. Because in Jesus, that vision from Isaiah comes to life. Where Isaiah was touched with the coal and then the coal made him pure, Jesus went around touching everything and everybody he wasn't supposed to touch. He went to the outcast, the sick, the lonely, the poor, the destitute, the dead, and he touched them. And Jesus didn't become impure, but Jesus spread his holiness to whoever he came in contact with and spoke hope and life and respect and dignity into broken and dead situations. Jesus was the fulfillment of that vision from Ezekiel, where he was, Ezekiel was saying that the whole idea of God's holiness was going to leave the building and spread into the world. Jesus spoke about himself and his disciples in John chapter 7, and he says this, he says this, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Jesus says this, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is saying that holiness is not bound to a building anymore. Wherever my followers go, holiness is going to spread. And this river of living water is going to animate and bring life and creative force and beauty into our world. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus just completes and redefines and fills out this picture of what holiness is all about. So Jesus lives this out. At the end of Jesus' life, he was crucified for our sins and to build a bridge between us and humanity. And and from there, three days later, he rose victoriously and conquered death and conquered the grave. And then for 40 days, he walked around in this new resurrected body he had and hung out with people, had breakfast with people, probably fish tacos. He had lots of different interesting things that he did with people. But he was alive, and then after 40 days of him walking around the world, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and then the church began, the first followers of Jesus who were trying to spread this message of Jesus everywhere. And Peter was one of those first followers of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he actually wrote these words about holiness to the early church, and I think he's challenging us with these words as well. This is what Peter had to say in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. He says this, As obedient children, talking to the first century believers and you and me today, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in what? In all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Now, on face value, this passage can be crushing. This passage can beat you down. This passage can leave you just feeling guilty in a cycle of guilt And it makes you feel like you're less than on the surface. Because we look at our lives and we're like, well, if we we think about holiness and we think if it's just about being morally pure, there's no way I could ever measure up. Even on my best days, I have that passing thought I shouldn't think. Or even on my best days, I have this tinge of selfishness that drives my behavior and my conversations. this, This passage can beat us down just on face value. But my friends, again, I want to invite you. Let's think about holiness in a bigger, broader Spectrum. Let's think about holiness not just in the things that we should stay away from, but the way that we should walk and spread God's hope and light and life to our neighbors and our friends and our family. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian in the 20th century, a German pastor, theologian, author, writer. And he actually said this that I think frames this conversation really well for me. He says this Christ-likeness, which is another way of saying holiness, being like Jesus in everything we do, is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Being a Christian, Christ-likeness, being holy, is less about just trying to stay away and cautiously avoiding sin, those things that lead us to destruction and hurt other people, than it is about courageously and actively doing God's will. This is what I want us to frame holiness with. You see, this is what's fascinating about the Old Testament. All those examples we looked at in the Old Testament is another way of saying the Old Covenant, God's old deal with humankind. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was all about staying away from things. Don't do this. Be separate from that. Don't do this. Stay away from the shrimp. Don't touch the bacon. Don't touch the bacon. No. last conversations that Jesus had with his followers. And we're going to spend some time in John chapter 13, because I think this, for me, unlocks how we live out holiness this afternoon, tomorrow morning, Monday afternoon, before you've had your afternoon coffee and you're getting annoyed by everybody. This passage uh, unlocks everything for me. This is Jesus, some of his last words. He says, "'My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going.'" where I am going, you cannot come. So a new command I give you. Now, again, these are some of the last words that Jesus spoke. And so I'm sure his disciples, his closest friends are leaning in saying, what is he going to say? And then he has the kicker sentence there, a new command I give you. If I were one of Jesus' followers, it would have been so odd because I would have been like, Jesus, we already have 613 commands, not just the 10 commandments, but all the Levitical laws, all the other laws that religious teachers made, 613 commands. You're going to give us a new one? Like And this is some of the last words you're ever going to speak. What are you talking about, Jesus? And I'm sure they're leaning in, kind of like, what is he going to say? And this is how Jesus fills his thought. This is his new command. The new command I give you, love one another. And if you're anything like me, I'm thinking to myself, uh, that's too easy. Like, what do you mean? That's like some hippie stuff. Like, that doesn't really make sense when I've got my uncle at the Thanksgiving table or I've got this person on Facebook who's spreading this and all this kind of stuff, and I want to like choke them out. Like, that doesn't really help me. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Love one another. Like, I'm just supposed to think good thoughts about them or I'm just supposed to be like, it's all good to everybody who comes around me. Yeah, I need some qualification, Jesus, is what I would say. And this is exactly how Jesus qualifies it. But how Jesus qualifies it next is simpler but more costly than we can possibly imagine. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How are you supposed to love one another? As I have loved you. Ooh, that is some tough stuff. How are we supposed to love one another? In the same way that Jesus has loved us. How did Jesus love us? Jesus went to the cross for me when I wanted to have nothing to do with him he still went and took punishment because of all of my brokenness. Jesus, how does he love me? He loves me in my darkest moments when I'm doubting he's there, when I'm doubting he's got a plan. Jesus loves me and he comforts me and he says that I'm a good father and I've got this for you. How does Jesus love us? He loves us that when our thoughts and our thought processes are so out of whack and we're following our own selfish desire instead of thinking about others and thinking about what God wants, he still knocks on my door when I turn my back on him. Jesus says, this is this new command. I give you love one another in the way that I have loved you. Sacrificially, with humility and service, with mercy on top of mercy on top of mercy. This is the invitation. (laughs) And then Jesus really ties holiness into this whole idea with this last sentence he speaks. He says this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciple by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another by this everyone will know that's the same idea of being set apart this is your identifier this is how you're set apart from the world this is how everyone will know you're part of my movement of my family is by the way that you love one another listen to this he doesn't say by this everyone will know you're my disciple by how much christian music you listen to by how many Bible verses you memorize, by your church attendance in person or online. He doesn't say any of those things by, those, by how many bad words you don't say when you want to say them, by how much money that you give to charity. He doesn't say any of those things. It's broader and it's more specific, oddly at the same time, by the way that you love one another. If you love people the way that I have loved you, that's how you'll be set apart. That is how you'll be described as holy. Holy. <laughs> So you see how that's more, it's, it's simpler, but it's more costly at the same time. And that's, this is what Jesus is inviting us into. This is the kind of holiness he's inviting us into. This is the bottom line. This is how I want us as a church to understand holiness for ordinary people on Sunday afternoon, Monday morning. This is what holiness is. Holiness is being set apart, being known by, to wholly love God and others. This is what we're invited into. This is the invitation of Jesus. It's for us to be set apart, to be known by our love for God and others. Think of it this way. If you think of holiness just as being morally pure, you're going to spend all of your time just concentrating on those things you're not supposed to do. Like if I would tell you right now, don't think about elephants. Don't think about elephants. Don't think about elephants. Don't think about elephants. What are you guys thinking about right now? Don't say shrimp, elephants, right? You're thinking about elephants because when you, what you focus on, it consumes you. And if you focus on staying away from the wrong things and just being set apart, not touching things, not thinking things, not doing things, you will just get in this cycle of regret and brokenness. You'll spend all of your time going in the wrong direction. But holiness is the way that Jesus showed it to us is better than that. It's about actively doing God's will, actively loving God and others with all that we've got. Listen, if you spend your life wanting to focus on loving God and loving others with all you've got, you won't have time to fall into patterns of sin that are destructive to you and those that you love. You won't have the time or the energy for it. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into. Holiness is being set apart to wholly love God and others. Now, with the remaining time that we have together, I wanna try to get real practical to show us maybe some things that you can do later this afternoon or into your week, the ways that you can live out being holy the way that Jesus described it. And the first is this. Get your hands dirty. Get dirt underneath your fingernails. Get busy. Get busy doing the work of serving each other. Let's do that. I mean, here's what's so incredible. Jesus embodied God's holiness, remember? But God's holiness wasn't about being separate from people and being up on your high horse, being like, everybody look at me, everybody look at me. Jesus embodied God's holiness, but he went as low as he could possibly go. He came to serve, not to be served. He gave up his life. He took the form of a servant. This is what holiness looked like for Jesus. And this is the way that you and I are invited to live holiness this next week. So let me ask you a personal question. Let me get personal with you. Let me step on your toes a little bit if I need to, as my grandpa used to say. How are you serving those closest to you, your first degree? How are you serving your spouse, your kids, your roommate? How are you serving your coworkers and not passively aggressively? Not like not passive aggressively, no. How are you serving those close to you? Do you want to do it just to express your love just as a reaction to how Jesus served you? Do you want to do it or you begrudgedly do it or you kind of like wait until it's the last resort to do it? If all the circumstances are right, then you'll serve them, then you'll love them, then you'll do this thing for them that you know that would take a part of their load off. How are you doing with that? Jesus invites us to do that. I mean, the question of Jesus and holiness is how low can you go? Not how high you can rise, but how low can you go to serve them? Don't let there be stuff in your relationships where you're like, well, I'll I'll do this, but I'm not going to do this for them. I mean, that's just not what I should do. But the idea of holiness, the invitation of holiness is to get our hands dirty, serving those around us to make patterns and to make rhythms where we are doing that. That's what holiness is about. It's not about being separate from the work. It's about being in the middle of the work, getting dirt under our fingernails, getting our knees with dirt or mud on them. (laughs) That's what it's about. The Next challenge I want to give you, the way we can live out everyday holiness is this, to be someone who builds bridges to the other. Build bridges to the other. You know, Jesus, he spent most of his time hanging out with not the holy huddle, let's just put it that way, I mean, actually, when Jesus hung out with religious people, with church people, with people that thought they had a great connection with God, he had his harshest criticisms reserved for him. I mean, Jesus would turn into like the best insult comic when he's around these guys. They drove him nuts Jesus spent most of his time hanging out with people that were nothing like him. He hung out with the outcasts, the rejects, the foreigners, sick people, political enemies, the people that voted for the other person in 2016. The other, in any way you could define it, that's who Jesus spent his time with. And one of the ways for us to be holy like Jesus is to not let there be a wall between the us and the them and to make a longer table and a shorter fence to people that are different than us. And man, is this hard. Isn't that such a challenge? But this is the invitation. And when you think about it, this is what Jesus did for you. This is what Jesus did for me. When I was helpless, when I was hopeless, when I wanted to have nothing to do with him, when I might just have wanted to get something from him instead of him, he built a bridge to me. (laughs) He came after me. He loved me and pursued me with his love, his grace, and his mercy, and we are called to do the same thing. I mean, think of it this way. When Jesus walked the earth, you guys, and this is an uncomfortable thought, for me at least, but when Jesus walked the earth, Um, He was criticized for who he shared the table with, who he'd have a meal with, who he'd have a drink with, who he'd have a coffee with, if there was coffee. He was criticized for who he hung out with. Oh, they're the drunkards. Oh, they're the notorious sinners. They're the prostitutes. They're the people that we shouldn't be messing with at all. We should keep separate from. He was criticized for it. Let me ask you this. Are we criticized for the same thing, for the company that we keep, for the riffraff, (laughs) for the notorious sinners? for the people that were with her in 2016 or wore the red hats? Are we criticized for the company we keep? Oh, that's a challenging thought to me. I I don't think I am often enough. And I think this is a way that Jesus is asking me in my life to be holy and to live out this holiness is to build bridges to the other (laughs) so that I get criticized the way that Jesus was, to not let barriers be up between how I am living my life and people that are different than me. Jesus didn't build walls around himself, but he broke down walls to people that were different than him. May we as the church be known for that as well. The last thought I want to give you is that we can't do holiness alone. We need to get holy together. Holiness does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in the context of community. The book of Hebrews, which is an incredible um, letter written and it's recorded for us in the back of our new testaments in the back of that letter in hebrews chapter 10 this is what the author of hebrews says i think it's a challenging thought he says let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another now, there's a fascinating verb that he uses there at the beginning of this passage. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Now, the word spur one another on, that phrase, that, that verb, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's not a very popular verb in the ancient languages, but it actually means to irritate into action kind of like that mosquito that you feel like you've got to like smacks so it like because it's irritating you enough or it's like when you're sitting next to a loved one during church and you feel like they're talking about your spouse and you go like that I mean that's that irritation but I think it's like this loving irritation that spurs us or stirs us up into action and this is what the author of Hebrews is saying that we need to happen for those blind spots that we feel in our life those things, those patterns, or those habits in our life that are destructive. We need people to call us out in lovingly ways, in loving ways, to call us into a better way of life. We need each other to encourage us to think differently about how we can love one another, to help us see our blind spots there, or to stir us into good deeds to loving people so that people experience God's love. We need this thing to happen. We need to be encouraged by one another. Holiness doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the context of community. Uh, just as last week, uh, some staff here, we were talking about um, how we we're planning on getting our church into circles. Maybe that'd be online circles or in physical circles this fall in groups. And we're so excited about that um, starting here in a couple, uh, couple weeks into September. But I want to encourage every one of you, <laughs> as you take your next step on your spiritual journey, wherever you are, don't feel like just coming to church or watching a service online is what's going to help you grow. We need each other Irritating, irritate us in love and to stir us up and to encourage us. We need each other to do it. And that's how we grow in the holiness that God calls us to do. So I know that's coming up, but don't pass on that. We need each other in that way. My friends, you were created for holiness. I want to say that again because some of you are thinking it's not possible, but you were created for holiness. You were created to reflect God's holiness, and you were created to grow in holiness with others. Don't think about holiness as just being morally pure because the truth and the good news is better than that. You were created to be set apart, to love God wholly, to love others wholly. And we can do that together. We can, you were created for it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the surprise of your word that as we dive into it, as we discover you, um, man, we have all these preconceived notions that are just, they're just shadows of the real thing. So, God, we thank you so much for your holiness, for how other you are, how set apart you are. We thank you so much that your holiness doesn't stay away from us, but it pursues us as Jesus makes us holy through his work at the cross and through his resurrection. God, help us be holy in the way that you are holy by building bridges to people that are different than us, by um, spending time in community and being together, God, but also, by getting our hands dirty and serving our loved ones, our family members, our coworkers, let it start there, God. But let us remember that holiness left the building with your son, Jesus. And we're called to spread it wherever we go as well. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.